First John 3 is printed in your bulletin on page 4. <clears throat> Lord willing, we'll turn to 1 Samuel 18 uh, next Lord's Day. For now, we'll be in 1 John chapter 3, and the sermon will primarily be on verses 4 through uh, 24. John says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, and now we are children of God. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he, the Lord Jesus, was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he, the Lord Jesus, is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed, God's seed, remains in him. That's his spirit. And he cannot sin because he has been born of God. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his works were evil. And his brothers righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My children, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. Whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. And this is His commandment, that we should believe on <clears throat> the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandments. Now, He who keeps His commandments abides in Him, and He in Him by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen.
There's a long list of things that you could use to describe or help reveal whether you are part of a certain family. Children, you know who is in your family because they have the same last name as you. Some of them live in the same home as you. But there are two things that John uh, writes about in this chapter that reveal whether you are part of a certain family. And did you notice as we read through that there are two families or two fathers laid out in 1 John chapter 3? Those two fathers are God and the devil. And he gives two things for each family to determine whether you are part of either God's family or the devil's family. And those two things are your beginning and your remaining. Your beginning and your remaining. Now, beginning is a word that has a very broad meaning. It's not just the start of something. We began the service a few minutes ago. But beginning also points to the fact of origin or source. Natural families have a common ancestor. That's why you share a name or share a likeness. They have a common source. But the word remaining, it's, it's more expansive. It's broader. It's something that can change. You can choose to remain in a family or not, right? You can choose to leave your family and never be a part of them again. In some sense, you still are a member because you share the name. But you can't change in any way your beginning. You will never be from somewhere you are not from. You can change whether you remain there or not, but you cannot change your beginning. Now, my goal in looking at 1 John 3 is not to equate the natural and the heavenly. But I do hope as we work through these verses that you'll see how John's use of these natural human terms, notice he calls them children, he speaks of fathers, beginnings. As he uses these terms, he's trying to teach us about heavenly realities. And to summarize those heavenly realities, at least that we'll look at this morning, I'm going to frame it around this one sentence. The church shows itself to be the family of God in its beginning and in its remaining, or abiding is the word John uses. The church shows itself to be the family of God in its beginning and its remaining. Remember, the two key aspects of family I want you to think about. It pertains to the beginning, the source, or the origin, and it pertains to this ongoing living, or as John calls it, abiding or remaining. And in our reading, John is at pains to help us rightly identify people. He does this not only in his epistles, but he does it in his gospel as well. He's always setting one thing against another. It's either this or that. You have this person, you have that person. And his epistle is no different. And this is not only to help us rightly identify other people, but it's also meant to help us rightly identify ourselves. It's not one or the other, it's both. John is not calling on us to sinfully judge as Jesus warns of, in Matthew 7, but he is calling us to judge in a certain way. Now, this could also help us identify a true fellowship or a true church amidst 
many false ones. Actually, that's part of the background of what 1 John is writing about when he says uh, that whoever abides in Christ does not sin. He doesn't mean to teach perfectionism like some Christians believe. You can attain sinlessness in this life. But he does mean that whoever abides in Christ does not commit the type of sin that he's addressing. If you go back and look at chapter 2, it's the sin of apostasy, the sin of leaving the faith. Christians, true Christians, do not do that. So this helps us identify not just a true individual, but a true fellowship or church. Because a place where sin is promoted, not just a person in whom sin is promoted, a place where sin is promoted and protected is not a place where the children of God are in control. Or we could say where God is in control. Eventually, those who are the children of the devil will manifest themselves, as he says in verse 10. And this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. So to go back to the point about the beginning, the source, the common ancestor, look at verses 8 and 9 if you have your Bible. If not, uh, just look along in the bulletin. It's verses 8 and 9 where John says, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. Then he jumps down to verse 9. Whoever has been born of God does not sin for his seed remains in him. Like he's playing off the same idea that this is very straight talk. If you live this life of sin, if you commit this sin of apostasy, it's because God is not your father. Sin is a marker. It is a family likeness. It shows who your father is. Just as not sinning, not committing this grievous sin, not making a practice of sinning is also a family likeness. It shows who your father is. Notice, he just makes that easy parallel. If you sin, you are of the devil. If you are of God, you don't sin. Right? You don't commit this ultimate sin of apostasy. But you also, as I think the ESV translates it this way, you don't make a practice of sinning. It doesn't mean you never sin again, for then you'd have no need of Christ. But did you notice there's even an appeal to see that the devil has been this way from the beginning? The devil is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But so is God in an even greater sense. This point with verse 7, or this point could be connected with verse 7 because it's where he, he starts in, in simple terms without drawing on the Father or uh, the devil, or God the Father, or devil the Father, we might say. He says, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. Now, this is very helpful when you're talking and dealing with family members and friends. If someone is not righteous, what does the Bible say of them? They're not a Christian. They are not born of God. Now, we can walk in seasons of disobedience, but lives of disobedience are not evidence of a child of God. They're not evidence of having God as their father, God as their source. 
There is some overlap, isn't there, with abiding and beginning here because your beginning reveals how you will abide or whether you will remain with God and his people. We can't ultimately separate the two, but we do need to distinguish. We see that this remaining in God, this remaining with his people, as John speaks of, abiding in him, keeping his commandments, it comes for those who have been born of God by the Spirit whom he has given to us. Your beginning will be revealed in your abiding. Your present reveals your past, you might say, and prepares you for the future. And what may often be overlooked in this is how you love those whom you are like. You love those whom you are like. And we know this in our common experience. We like to be around people who like the same things as us. But it starts even before that. We could call it natural affections. We're attracted to those who look like us. But that attraction deepens when actions begin to be considered. We are drawn to those, not just whom we look like, but we're drawn in even closer fellowship to those who look like us and act like us. This earthly truth gives way to heavenly realities. I make this point because sinners love sinners. They just do, just as the righteous love the righteous. John shows this in verses 10 to 18, which could be summarized as saying the children of God are revealed by their love for his family, just as the children of the devil are revealed by their love for his family. And this provides the context for his point about Cain. You know, the apostles do this very often. They'll be going on about something to do with the, the church that they're writing to, and then they make this Old Testament reference, and you kind of have to connect the dots and see what he's saying. What he's saying is that Cain took from God's family. Cain didn't just kill his natural brother, but he killed a child of God. Cain took life. He imitated his father. Have you ever read John 8, verse 44? It says, where Jesus is speaking to those who opposed him in his ministry, he says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's John 8, 44. As you likely know from your reading of the Sermon on the Mount, we preached through it not too long ago, murder is more than simply killing. All murder is killing, but not all killing is murder in the modern way we use the term. Some types of anger are even murder. And what John does is he draws this line in the sand by the Holy Spirit for all ages so the people of God can see that love for the family of God is a line in the sand. It is a matter of the six commandments. It is a matter of showing your origin and your abiding. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the domain of the house, as it were, of his word and spirit, the house of his father, and it bears witness to the love that God has in himself. If you know one verse from 1 John, you know the verse, God is love. 
And it plays, he plays on this whole idea throughout his epistle. In the house of God, in the family of God, created by his word and spirit through the Lord Jesus, his love that he has in himself is shown in his people who love one another because they are being made to be like him. God is making this supernatural, heavenly image, this likeness that is created by his word and spirit through his son. It is being created in those who are gathering as his family in the church. So when John says, whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him. He cannot sin because he has been born of God. He's calling on us to see ourselves this way. I cannot do this. I cannot live this way. I cannot deny my Father. I cannot refuse to remain because God is my Father and He is also their Father whom He has united me to. You see, the reign of God, the kingdom of God is shown and established where the people of God or those who have been born of God or as we said in Psalm 87, those who have been born in Zion, the reign of God is established there And there the people love one another. The love of God is shown and it is grown in the church. Children, did you know that the devil also has a church? I don't mean the church of Satan as a denomination, though that could certainly be included. Church just means assembly. It means house. The devil has one of those as well. It's the place where those who bear his likeness and are growing in his ways are being shown and grown. Calvin says this about the devil's reign, R-E-I-G-N. The devil's reign, or excuse me, the devil reigns where hatred, dissimulation, envy, and enmity prevail. See, none of those things are markers of the children of God. The devil reigns in those places. But in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, love reigns. I don't have time to get into all the weird conceptions of love, but it's true based on what John says. Jesus laid down his life for God's family. Jesus gave life through his death. And quite frankly, I don't need to get into all those complicated descriptions and definitions of the word love. Because let's just start working on the most basic form of love. And that's liking the people that are in the room with you and enjoying being in their presence. Let's just start there before we get into the complicated, weird definitions. Enjoying and loving being with those whom God has redeemed and those whom he has placed you in the midst of. The death of Jesus for his enemies, for us as sinners, makes us his beloved. God changes our spiritual family through his son. See, we were of the devil's house. We were of his church. But in God's magnificent grace, the changing of this Uh, place that we have, this changing of our family, this changing of our origin. There's There's no coincidence to God calling it being born again or being born there. 
God supernaturally causes us by his word and spirit, by the water and the spirit, we'll get to that in a moment, to be made children of God. And in God's magnificent grace, the changing of a father or a mother, it leads to the changing of the children as well. Their status becomes children of God. Paul teaches, remember, that a believing parent, just one, means that all the children are holy. How much more so for two? You see, Christ laid down his life just as much for you as he did for me and the person sitting next to you. Therefore, in a sense, to have hatred toward a fellow member of God's family is to look at God and say, I don't like your family. Why did you have to include them? Or to Jesus, why did you have to die for them too? Be careful. As you've hopefully noticed, again, as I said, the family of God has a singular source, and it is God himself. And out of that source, God himself, out of that source comes the life of abiding in him, as John frames it. As I said earlier, the church shows itself to be the family or the children of God in its beginning and its abiding. And we might be tempted, we might be tempted to think that these matters are not that important. Because, you know, you could say, well, me being born of God is a private matter. Whether I love his children or not, his church, after all, the church is so corrupt today, is another matter. I want you to consider the inverse of what John says in verses 19 and following where he begins to speak of, by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. He relates assurance, knowing that you are of the truth. He says, by this we know that we're of the truth. This is how you know you're a Christian. And assure your hearts before him, assure your hearts before God. This manner of loving God and his people, loving God by loving his people, being in the place of his love with his people, all of that, all of that surrounds what John is saying. And he says, by this, we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before the Lord. What is the inverse of that? Having assurance without any of those things being present. What of those who claim assurance, claim God as their Father, but there is no abiding in Him, and there's no loving His people, and loving His commands? It seems very obvious, doesn't it? Whatever assurance that is, it is not from God, and therefore cannot be counted as Christian assurance. It is not the assurance that God gives his family. So whatever family you end up in with that type of assurance, good luck. But you need to know this. Brotherly love in God's house brings assurance. Brotherly love in God's house assures you before God. 
You might think that's counterintuitive, but friends, this is God's Word. There's no contradictions. He doesn't speak confused language. It's true. That's why he goes into the condemnation of hearts. I've seen verses 20 and 21 used in weird ways. Quite frankly, it's used in weird ways because the meaning is so painful. If our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Some will take that to say, if your heart condemns you, it's okay. God knows your heart. As if that's an assurance. (laughs) If your heart condemns you, that's not good. Because God is greater than your heart and knows everything in your heart and you only know a little bit. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. What a message. Verse 20 is not good news. The heart that condemns itself is condemned even before it gets to God because the depth and breadth of God's knowledge, which runs deeper, will only make it worse. The condemnation spoken of here, it is the refusal to love God's family in a way that God defines. This is one way, not the only way, to have assurance of salvation, but it is one nonetheless. And notice how John weaves this together with keeping his commands. And, verse 22, whatever we, re- we ask, we receive from him. So we love his family, indeed and truth. And then, whatever we, receive, we ask, whatever we pray for, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. This is his commandment. He's not going to let you off the hook. Believe on Christ. Love one another. Obedience is abiding. Obedience is loving not just God, but his people. And God's Spirit's work in us testifies to God's abiding in us. And it assures our hearts. You see, the family of God... As I said, we share God as our source. He is the Father of all those who have been born in the church. You see, quite frankly, all birth in the church is supernatural because all birth in the church is marked by baptism, baptism of water and spirit, which are not to be separated, as Jesus shows in John 3. But just as God abides in unity so do his people. He is love. His people are his family. They mirror his image and reflect his likeness through Christ and by the Spirit. And you see, because of these things, there is great hope, not just for the church, because the church is moving to heaven, but there's hope found in the church, because that's where God's love is manifested among his children through his people, those who keep his commands and abide in him and love one another. Hope, assurance, all those things that you seek in Christ are found through fellowship with his people, those who have a common source and those who remain together. Now, as I close, I want to draw your attention to a quote from uh, Richard Baxter. 
I'm going to relate it to the church, and hopefully it's going to prepare us for our singing of Psalm uh, 133. If you flipped ahead in the bulletin, you saw it, but our closing hymn is, uh, I had to type it out there because it's not in our hymnal in this tune and setting, but it's from Psalm 133. We'll get to that in a moment. But listen to this quote. Let's see if we can bring these two ideas together. From Richard Baxter, earthly blessings are the means, they're the way, of sustaining our bodies and preserving our life and health as we do God the service that we owe Him on our journey to heaven. We love them, that is, we love those earthly blessings as remote helpers to our salvation. Let me summarize and then connect it. All the things in our life, these earthly blessings that God has given to sustain our bodies are to preserve our life and our health, right? God gave us these things to nourish us, to strengthen us. But what is the point of all of it? It's not to keep our minds here, It's to set our minds on things above, where Christ is, but also where we are going, because we're going to where Christ is. Christ said he went to prepare a place for us. He's coming back to get us and take us to that place. But everything in this life that we can describe as blessings are means to get us there. And we should love those means. We should love those things that God has placed into our lives because they help us to that heavenly salvation, okay? The church, then, is in some sense an earthly blessing. It will not exist in heaven as it does on earth. That is to say, there will be no sinners in the heavenly church. There are no sinners technically in the invisible church, but that's another sermon. The earthly form of the church will give way to the heavenly. There will be no mixed multitude in heaven. Children, that is to say, when we go to be with God through Christ by His Spirit, once Jesus comes again, there will only be Christians there. Only Christians. The church and her members... In this life, the church, not just as an institution, but the people of the body are helps to you for your salvation on your journey to heaven. They are earthly blessings that God has provided. And woe to us if we would shun those things. They are visible instructors. They are tutors. They are tools of rebuke. And more, as we consider whether we are dwelling in the life that our Father has for us, seeing that we do, claiming as a church, identify with Him as our common Father. And to connect it to Psalm 133, I wrote a little bit about it in the email I sent, and it's printed at the bottom of the bulletin. But it just struck me this week in Psalm 133. The church serves as the place where God's blessing is commanded. The very last line there, 
The Lord commands His blessing there. The antecedent to that is Zion. The antecedent to that, the thing that that points back to, is in verse the first two lines. Behold how good a thing it is and how becoming well when those that are brethren dwell or delight to dwell in unity. Is a, a cleaner translation, but this is put to singing. Where's the place that the brethren dwell together? It's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the place where we are to abide. It's the place that God commands his blessing. It's the place that eternal life begins and ultimately gives way to that eternal life that never ends. You see, the heavenly life, the kingdom of God that is coming, is only beginning to be manifested in one place, and that is in the church of the Lord Jesus. We see the characteristics of heaven in the life of the church. So where, I ask you, dear friends, where would you rather be? Whom would you rather love? That doesn't mean that there aren't other places to be at times. But what is your chief longing? Is it to be in the place where God has commanded His blessing? Even life that never ends. Because one thing we don't often think about when we come to worship is that by attending, we say, I'm ready to go to heaven. I'm ready to be there now. Woe to us if that is not our chief delight, to be with Christ and to love his people with whom we share the same Father. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord, we thank you for the work of...